I want to pray for us before we begin, and I'll read this morning some in the scripture. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you, Father, for your goodness toward us. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It is all based in your goodness and your mercy and your grace, your love, your steadfastness, your faithfulness, and wisdom, and power. You are the glorious one. And I pray that you would be glorified here among us as we receive your word and among all of your churches that are meeting right now. Let the name of Jesus Christ be lifted up and restored to its rightful place in our hearts. Please speak to us through your word. Please help me to serve your people well and uh, not be of any distraction. Let it just be clear and plain and true and powerful and let it be transformative for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. It always gives me such a sense of peace knowing that we all, we all prayed. We just asked the Lord to speak to us and so we can trust that he will now. And really what Meredith shared is the perfect introduction to my sermon. I thought a lot about the conversation she referred to. We were taking a walk and talking about how back then the people that lived in New Testament times needed to be reminded not to be conformed to the image of the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of their minds and think about how much less they were influenced by the world than we are. Most of their time was probably spent in silence and with their families and out in the field. We are constantly under the world's influence. The world is screaming its values in our ears all week long. You just think back over your past week of what all you've taken into your mind through your smartphone, through your social media, through Netflix, through the radio, through podcasts. And now compare that to how much God's Word has been influencing your minds. If you think of it like a lump of clay being shaped, whose hands are usually on you shaping you? Is it the world's hands or is it God's hands through His Word? I think we live in an age when it is it's unprecedented how important it is that we specifically make sure God's Word is shaping our values, how we see the world, what we believe is true, how we understand truth. So it's really good that you're here, and it's really good that we're in the Beatitudes. In this section of Scripture, Jesus is telling us very plainly what is true and what our values ought to be as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So I'd like to read verses 1 through 11. There's only one verse that's going to be projected as the verse I'm going to preach, but I think it's helpful to hear the whole train of thought in order to get that verse correct. So... Only verse 6 will be projected, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So there we have sort of an introduction to the kingdom of heaven ethic, the kingdom of heaven values. This is what the citizens of light, this is what we're aiming for and what we aim to be like as Christians and as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So let's read verse 6. This is what we want to focus on this point. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So let's think about hunger and thirst. Some of you, your stomachs are growling right now, and it's easy for you to understand what we mean by hunger. They would have understood hunger and thirst way more differently, way more different than. They would have understood it more powerfully than we do. Food and water is easy for us to come up. Uh, you guys probably pass a dozen restaurants on your way here, fast food, convenience stores, prepackaged food. Uh, your breakfast can be microwaved. Your, your refrigerators, your pantries are probably pretty well stocked with food. Water is easy to come by. There's bottled water everywhere, water fountains everywhere. For them, they had to work hard to have food to eat. They had to see it through the whole process, planting, growing, tending. They sweated their brow work was how they gained food. And they were often under threat of famine, in which there would be widespread hunger and lack and shortage of food. Water wasn't as easy to get. They had to travel to it, find a well, do the hard physical work of getting the water, securing it. So Jesus here is giving them an analogy they would have understood. They would have known what hunger felt like. They would have known what thirst felt like. Now, you know what it feels like too. Think about the last time you were really hungry and you had to wait before you were able to eat. You're thinking it's right now for some of you. Think about the last time you were really thirsty. You've been working outside in the heat and you had to wait before you got anything to drink. That feeling. This is a really vivid biblical analogy for desire. It's almost more than desire. It's need. It's craving. I have to have this. I have to have food. I have to have one. So he's saying, blessed are those who feel like that, but not just for food, for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I need righteousness. I crave righteousness. And we all have deep hungers. Some people hunger for power. Some people hunger for money. Some people hunger for entertainment. Blessed are those who hunger not for power, not for money, not for entertainment, not for whatever it might be. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we need to know what he means by righteousness to understand this. Very simply put, I had a more technical definition written down, but I think the simplest way to understand it, righteousness is what is right by God's definition. What is right as God defines it? And it expresses itself in a couple of different ways. 
You can hunger and thirst for righteousness in the sense that when you watch the news and you see unrighteousness out there in the world, your stomach growls, your soul growls, aching for God, we want what is right to be put into effect. We want justice, we want wrongs to be made right. That is one legitimate way to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The other expression of it is more personal. It's God, I want to be right. I want to live by your right ways. I want all the wrong that I see in me to be taken away, and I want to be made right according to your word. So it's one hunger and thirst that expresses itself in two ways, one sort of outward and one inward. That's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's important that we get that point, that it's what is right as God defines it. Because we live in a society that defines right and wrong based on feelings. Whatever I feel is right, is right. And you can't tell me it's wrong because you don't know how strongly I feel it. Now this is not the way humanity has always understood right and wrong. For the majority of human history, right and wrong was understood based on an external standard because we know our feelings are not reliable. And if you did everything you felt like doing over the last 24 hours, would all of that have been right? Probably not. Probably you felt like doing or saying some things that would not have been right. So we have an external standard for right, what is righteous, and it's God. He gives it to us in His Word. In the kingdom of heaven, we as citizens, we base our understanding of right and wrong, what is righteous, what is unrighteous, on what God has said in His Word. So as Christians, our stomachs do growl for righteousness. We do long to see it. We hate to see the wickedness that is sort of taking hold of the country we live in, of the world. We long to see King Jesus come back and make it right. Some people wake up and they just long for something else. They want to be fit. Many people wake up and they just want, regardless of everything else, they just want to be fit and to look like they feel like they're supposed to look. Some people wake up and they, they just want to be richer. They feel like if they just had some more money, then they would feel satisfied. Some people wake up and they just want to be more beautiful. Some people wake up and they just want to be more popular or accepted, have more likes and more followers. As Christians, we wake up, we want to be more righteous. That's what we're growing to. That's a hunger and thirst that will will overshadow these lesser hungers and these lesser thirsts as we grow as Christians. We want to be right before God. We want our lives to be aligned with God's Word. We want the old self that clings on to us to be diminished, and we want the new self through Jesus Christ to grow stronger. We want less of the world's influence. We want more of Jesus Christ's influence. Everybody likes to track their progress on all their goals. Now we have more sophisticated technology for tracking our progress toward goals than humanity has ever had before. You might have it on your smartwatch. You might have it on your phone, an app to track your steps, your weight loss, your nutritional decisions, your water intake. If we could, we as Christians, we would love to have an app to track our progress in righteousness. That's what we're pursuing. Yes, drink some water. Yes, 
eat vegetables. Yes, get exercise. That's all good and important. But we have a higher aim than those things. We want to grow in righteousness. We want to be more like Jesus Christ. That hunger and thirst will be satisfied in the kingdom of heaven. So the promise of the kingdom of heaven is that the King Jesus is going to return. He's going to fully instate his reign and rule over all things. And in that day, our hunger for his righteousness will be completely and finally satisfied. But we don't have to wait until that day to experience the satisfaction of pursuing his righteousness now. It's We have a daily sort of appetizer for the kingdom. Every day when we wake up and we read the Bible and we scooch our lives a little bit closer toward righteousness in our daily decisions. So the kingdom of heaven is for those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize their spiritual need and go to Jesus Christ to have that need met, to be rescued and forgiven. The kingdom of heaven is made up of those who are mournful over the brokenness they see in themselves in the world around them, and who are being comforted by Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is made up of meek people who are humble toward God and toward one another because they recognize they are just sinners who have been rescued and who are learning how to live as righteous people. And the kingdom of heaven is made up of those who hunger and thirst for that righteousness, who love it, who want it, who need it. That's who we are and who we are becoming. You know, they say that your tastes can change. I have a sweet tooth. I grew up eating sugar, uh, almost by the spoonful practically. We always had sweets in the house, always had ice cream in the freezer. I'd get home from school and I would just go crazy on sweets and sugar. Now, that's like I'm programmed. I just want it all the time. I want sweets right now. I would go, if I had a Snickers bar in my pocket, I would start eating it right now. But they say your taste can actually change. So if I were to just stop eating sugar, I don't know for how long, they say different amounts of times, they'll say 20 days. If I was to stop eating sugar for 20 days and ate instead like vegetables, that my taste would begin to change. And if I went back and then ate a Snickers bar, it would taste so sweet, it would be almost disgusting. Because my taste buds will have adapted to appreciate the healthier foods. Now, I've not tested that theory personally, but I believe it's true. The same thing happens for us spiritually as Christians. Before you're a Christian, you will have a taste for the unrighteousness of this world. It will taste good. You'll watch it in movies and be entertained by it and laugh heartily and you'll love it. The attitudes of the world that are unrighteous, you'll embrace, you'll think they're great. But once you are saved by Jesus Christ, and as you grow in this new righteousness, your taste will begin to change. Those things that you used to think were so delicious and wonderful will start to be disgusting. And you'll start to love righteous things that you used to have no interest in whatsoever. I'll give you some examples. These are all from Ephesians chapter 4. Just so you know, I didn't make any of these up, nor did I like pinpoint things that I think are specific to any individuals in the church here. These are all from Ephesians 4, which is a really good passage about growing and pursuing righteousness, if you want to read it this week. As we grow as Christians, falsehood 
deception and lies are going to grow increasingly disgusting to us. And instead, telling the truth is going to become delicious and satisfying. Sinful anger is going to become disgusting. And godly, self-controlled anger is going to become satisfying. Stealing is going to become disgusting. And hard work to enable us to be generous is going to become satisfying. So as Christians, we are in a crisis as a culture right now because the, the government incentives have become so lucrative that a lot of people don't want to work. And so if you go around town, you'll see help wanted signs on almost every retail store. And I keep hearing stories of people who own businesses that can't find workers. And a lot of that's because there's government resources to not work right now. Now, Christians aren't going to be satisfied with that. Christians aren't going to want to sit at home and receive free money because they're going to value and be satisfied by working hard in order to serve and benefit other people and so that they can earn money that they can then give generously to others. That's going to become tasty. That's going to become satisfying. Corrupting talk is going to become dissatisfying. Speech that builds others up is going to become satisfying. So whereas you, maybe you used to really enjoy getting into the gossip with your friends, and that was just fun, it felt good, and fun, it made you feel better about yourself, and it's so interesting, that's going to become kind of nasty to you. And instead, you're going to start to find so much satisfaction in finding the right word that builds people up and, and knowing when to just not say anything. Darkness, just the things of darkness will become less palatable and the things of the light will become more satisfying. Now, I've told you this before, but just quick personal testimony on this. I grew up, I loved movies. I, I would want to watch them all regardless of the content in the movies. I loved the art form of it. And it seemed like the, the most... Uh, the most creative, the best directors and screenwriters, they always made the movies that just had the darkest content, it seemed like. But I would plow through that anyway, because I just liked the art form of it. Well, as I've grown as a Christian, like, I can't take it anymore. Really, it is like returning to that Snickers bar after sugar detox. It's like, it's just it's so dark. God, even fictionally, I don't want to see that kind of violence. I, I don't want to see anything sexually immoral on the screen. I don't want to hear blasphemy in my ears. Like, our tastes have changed now. And, you know, we watch the reruns of The Commish as a household. Y'all remember The Commish? Like, we're, we're going back in time. Y'all don't even know The Commish? Oh, man. Now, we're, we're going back in time to, like, old TV shows and stuff, because I just I don't like it anymore. My tastes have changed. And y'all should check out The Commish. Whereas you, you maybe used to enjoy secrecy, you used to um, feel like it, it was good and fine to hide things and to um, do things you shouldn't do and then cover it up with deception and live in secrecy. That's going to become distasteful. You're going to want to live in the light and with integrity as you grow in your hunger for righteousness. Instead of drunkenness, joy in the spirit. Instead of individual, I'm out for myself, mutual submission. Instead of selfishness, what's going to benefit me? 
self-sacrifice. Uh, whereas maybe if it used to be satisfying to you, if you're going back into the kitchen to get pizza for a slice for you and a slice for your significant other, maybe it used to be you would make sure you got the bigger of the two slices. But as you grow righteousness, you'll want to give your spouse the bigger of the two slices. In the kingdom of heaven, those who hunger and thirst for this righteousness will be satisfied. In an, an ongoing way here in this world, that's all pointing ahead toward the full and final satisfaction when Jesus Christ comes back and everything is made right by God's definition. That word for satisfied, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That word satisfies a really good word in Greek. It means um, gorged, stuffed, um, like almost too much, abundant. It's a word that they used for when they would fatten up cattle. Like that. It's going to be so satisfying once you get that taste for pursuing righteousness. And we live in a world of dissatisfaction. We live in a world where people are cravings, they don't even know what. They can't find satisfaction. And I actually have one little point of application that's specific to parents here. Um, parents, and I include myself in this, if we raise our children in such a way that we make sure they get straight A's and that they're, they're excellent at ball or whatever sport, but we don't raise them to, through Jesus Christ, be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, we are setting them up for a life of hollow, empty, worldly success, devoid of any true, real satisfaction. I mean, think of people who are extremely smart, extremely successful at whatever their career, whether it's sports or anything else, but don't have Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how successful you are. There is no satisfaction at the core of any of that. Better to make B's and C's and sit on the bench, but know Jesus Christ and be growing in righteousness and have soul satisfaction than to be practicing ball every night of the week, studying until all hours, super successful at school and whatever other hobby endeavors, but not know Jesus Christ. And it slips up on us subtly because, again, the world exerts great pressure toward these things, and they're not bad things. Good grades are good. Sports are good. You will experience, uh, if you go toward those things with all your might with your children, you're going with the grain of the world, and it's going to be easy, easy, easy to devote your life to them. Everything is set up for it. You'll get pats on the back at school. Your kids will get pats on the back at school. It's going to be so easy to send our kids off on a trajectory to waste their lives and go to hell. And it can be so difficult to pry ourselves from these things and insist, no, I'm going to teach my children the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take them to church. I'm going to make sure they know the goodness of righteousness available through Jesus Christ. We can't control their hearts. We can't make them decide, yes, I want to be a Christian. I'm going to trust and follow Jesus. But we can do everything in our power 
But we need to know it's going to be going against the grain of everything in this world. It's going to be saying, no, I'm not doing ball on Sunday morning. I go to church on Sunday morning. It's going to be saying, no, okay, maybe your homework's not done, but we're going to go to youth on Wednesday night because even more important than your homework is hearing the truth of Scripture and being with fellow Christians your age. It's hard. It's not natural in this world, but it's essential. We know where satisfaction is to be found. Jesus put it a couple different ways. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father's mouth. He said, my food is to do the will of my Father, he said. That is satisfying. That is sustaining. Pursuing it through any other way is just, you get to that next level and you realize, I'm still not quite satisfied. Let me get to the next level. I'm still not quite satisfied. And we're about to eat the Lord's Supper. And I didn't actually even plan to land on this verse on the Sunday that we had already scheduled to do the Lord's Supper, but it's so fitting. Jesus gave us this piece of bread, this drink, this way of remembering his sacrifice on our behalf, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. But I think it's interesting, he gave it to us in the form of something we eat and something we drink. And I think it connects to this idea of the, the nourishment, the satisfaction that is found in trusting and following Jesus together and growing in righteousness together. So as we Eat this little piece of bread, drink this little cup, let it remind you of this true satisfaction. Let it re-energize you to enjoy that satisfaction to its fullest this week by pursuing righteousness. I pray that as we proceed as a church, our conversations always would revolve around that. Uh, you know, I, I've been praying for you last week because I know you're struggling with this particular sin. How, how did it go this week? Uh, well, I you know, woke up and I had my quiet time, and I pray for the Lord to strengthen me, and, and praise God, I'm growing in my ability to abstain from that sinful behavior, and instead to pursue this godly behavior. Like that, that is our Christian life together. Growing in righteousness together. Growing in this satisfaction that is ours. So, I want to say a quick prayer for us as we transition, and then uh, we'll pass out the little communion elements, and we'll go... Go from there. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. It is satisfying. It is so rich and so true and so soul-nourishing and so different from anything the world offers. Lord, I pray for every person here, all the members of our church, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, empower us to rise above the influence of this world, and go against the grain, against the flow, and pursue the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I trust you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.